Hi guys, my name is Bryce. I have a new life in Christ and I'm in recovery from fear of man, pride, low self-worth, and this past week, um, responding to a roommate that I love out of frustration. Hey y'all, it's good to be here with you guys again. Um, if this is your first time, welcome. Um, I hope you feel welcome here and that this is a place that um, you can feel safe um, and that this place is for you. If you've been with us the past couple of weeks, um, we've just finished up an, a series called Idols and we talked about source idols. We talked about um, the idol of acceptance, power, comfort, and um, control, yes. Uh, <laughs> I should know this, but um, we just finished it up and this week we're starting a new series on the book of Romans. But I wanna tell you the reason why we're starting, the reason why we believe that it was a good idea to go through the book of Romans is because we truly believe that theology matters. Like what you believe about God matters so much so that we would spend months to do it. You come here on a region uh, Monday night, not on a region, on a Monday night to region, and we teach things like idols, and idols is theology. It's what you believe about God that affects the way that you believe about yourself because we believe that um, what you believe determines your behavior. What you believe determines your behavior. Let me give you a small um, kind of funny example. When I was in fifth grade, I started hanging out with this guy, Danny, and his older brother, David. And my older brother, Zach, was also friends with David because they were both older and Danny and I were younger. And we started going over the house and it was typical around, you know, midnight as we're hanging out, we're going to go sauce up some quesadillas. And so we're standing in the kitchen and we're like, I put the butter on there. I got my jalapenos next to me and I'm chopping it up. I'm ready. And to the left of the stove, I'm seeing this orange rock thing. It's kind of glowing. I'm like, hey, Danny, what's this? What's this rock thing? And he was like, oh, bro, bro, don't touch that, man. And I'm like, dude, what are you talking about? He's like, dude. That's been, our, that's been in our family for ages, dude. It's, it's a spiritual rock that's been passed down through generation, from generation to generation in our family. I mean, dude, shut up, whatever. And then David's, his older brother chimes in. He's like, yeah, bro, like, don't touch it, man. The last time somebody touched it, he thought we were lying. And then he was sick for like three weeks. He almost had to go to the hospital. I was like, nah, dude, whatever. And I, but I'm not touching it still because I'm like, okay, whatever. Um, and then my older brother, Zach, he's kind of like the wild one out of the two of us, maybe you could consider, we're both kind of wild, but he was the one who's like, oh, let me get whatever. And so he goes and he, he like doesn't even grab it with two hands. I think I remember him kind of like just touching it like this. And I kid you not, he touches it and it goes, it flickers and then it shuts off. And then we're like, <gasps> and then David and Danny are like, <laughs> we, we were speechless. We didn't know what to do. And so for the rest of the, like we kind of, we were like moved away and I'm like, oh my gosh, what's gonna happen? Um, Zach never got sick, but anytime I came over to the house, I would like w- w- walk in the kitchen and I kind of look at it and I just like walk around. There was an island in the middle. I'd walk on the outside just because I didn't want to be near. I was like, I ain't going to mess with that anymore. But it caused me to like avoid this thing for like years and years and years. And you know what? I'm on Amazon later on in high school and I'm just like flipping through. And then I, I happened to see the- his family generation rock that's been passed down from generations for 20 bucks on Amazon. And I'm like, what the heck? But what happened is, I say that to mean, is that I truly believe, in that moment, something happened where I kind of believed that actually there was something behind this rock and it caused me to avoid it. Like I, I shifted the way that I lived my life based off of this belief that I had of this rock. And um, we believe that what you believe about God is the most important thing 
that you, that'll ever be about you. The most important thing about you is what you think of God. A.W. Tozer says, and maybe you all have heard this quote before, says, what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. And we believe that to be completely true. Is that when you know who God is, it changes everything. And so we thought that the best way for you to understand who God is, um, the truth about who God is, God is, is to read the truth about who he is from the scripture. And the book of Romans does just that. And so we are going to start this series um, in the book of Romans because we think that the truth that God reveals about himself in the book of Romans is the key to the reason why you're in this room, truthfully. The key to your healing, the key to your salvation, the key to the freedom of the sin or whatever it is in your life that you're dealing with, the key to that is found in the book of Romans, in the book of Romans, in the scriptures. And so just real quickly, as we jump in, the book of Romans is divided up into four main movements, four main sections. The first three chapters are, um, you could banner that sin. The first three chapters talk mainly about sin. Chapters four through eight talk about salvation, um, what God has done about sin. And then nine through 11 talks about God's sovereignty, his power, who he is. And then um, 12 through 16 talks about service. Like because, all these, because of sin, salvation, sovereignty, who God is, what he's done, this is who it makes you. This is the way in which you should live your life. Um, and the main thesis, like the main point of the whole book of Romans is summed up in two, in two verses in the first chapter. So we're going to jump in. Paul says this. Paul's the one who wrote the book of Romans, by the way, um, if you didn't know. And real quick, the hope isn't that you would just hear here tonight on Monday nights, like what the book of Romans is about. The hope would be that you would hear kind of like a broad overview of what God's trying to communicate to you right now where you are. Um, but we also hope um, that you would go and you would read this on your own because God will reveal, if you're seeking him in the scripture, he will reveal himself to you through the power of the spirit. But Paul says in Romans 1, 16, and, 16 to 17, he says, for I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it, the gospel it, for in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. Real quick, I was thinking about this earlier. I probably don't have time for it, but I think it's an important point. The righteous, the righteous shall live by faith. I used to think what that meant was if you are righteous, like if you are a righteous person, then you will live by faith. But that's not primarily what like this, that sentence is talking about. He's saying the righteous shall live by faith. He says, if you have faith, you will become righteous. If you have faith in Jesus, it makes you righteous. And when you are righteous because of your faith in Jesus, you will walk in faith with Jesus. Um, that's an important distinction to make. And we're going to talk about that here. But, and that's the good news. Like the good news is that the gospel saves. The gospel is the power of God for your salvation. Wherever you are in this room, the gospel of God is the power for salvation for you tonight. If you don't believe it, if you don't know what we're talking about, we're about to talk about it right now. So glad you're here. Um, but Paul knows that um, it's hard to really like understand the gravity of a good news if you don't understand the bad news. 
Like if you don't know your current state, you probably, if you don't know something bad's happening, when somebody tells you some good stuff, you probably be like, ah, you know, whatever. It becomes plain. And so he talks about the problem of sin, humanity's problem of sin. Um, and he's going to talk about, in these three chapters, he's going to talk about um, three different types of people, three categories of people, if you will, that kind of um, helps him get his point across, essentially. And it's the Gentiles, the moral, the moral Gentile, and then the Jew. But he starts out with the Gentile. Um, and if you want to know what the Gentile is, basically what he's talking about is the Gentiles were not Jews. They weren't religious. And these specific, this specific group of people we're talking about were like off the wall crazy. Like they're the ones who didn't think about God. <clears throat> they weren't born in a religion where um, people like worshipped the God. They literally just did whatever they wanted. They worshipped the creation um, around them. They just live life for whatever. And today that would look a lot like um, not thinking about who God is, but just whatever was pleasurable, whatever you could get your hands on, you would just do it. Wake up and wake up the day. Hey, what do I want? I don't know. What is gonna, what's going to bring me comfort? You know, oh, you know, what's going to bring me comfort? What's going to bring me acceptance is a better job or more status or more money. If, I don't, if I'm not satisfied with those things, I'm just going to go get drunk and numb it. Worshiping pleasure of pornography, whatever it may be, drugs, just living life, not even thinking about who God is. Romans 1, 24 and 25 says this. It says, therefore God, well, real quick, right before this, Paul says that all Gentiles know that God exists. Like we know he exists. It's deep within our bones. We were created by him. But we, it, but we turned away from him. Instead of worshiping God, we worshiped um, images of man and animals. And so then that's why he says, therefore, therefore, because of that, God gave them up to the lusts of their hearts, to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves. Why? Because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. We are naturally worshiping beings. We talked about this in the idol series. We used this first a couple of times. But because we are naturally worshiping beings, we need to worship something or we always worship something. We were created to worship God. And instead of worshiping him, we worship creation. And then it caused destruction and death. The rest of that, the rest of that passage is talking about all these things that the Gentiles did or what marked them. Like evil and they were haters of truth. Um, and when we go worshiping the world, we try to find life from it. And so it looks like sex or alcohol, money, drugs, whatever it is. Um, and I know that's a lot of y'all's story in this room. Like you're in this room right now because you've ran to those things over and over and over again, and they fell flat and it's empty and you don't know where to go. But if you're feeling like that's you here in this room, I just want you to know very seriously that that's my story. And when I talk to my friends or I tell my story, I tell them I was the Ro like I was the Romans one sinner. Like I was the Gentile that didn't even think about God. Not once. I didn't care. I didn't feel conviction. I was just like, whatever, like this is it. This is all I know. That's my story. That's the so Paul is saying that, hey, he knows God exists deep in his heart, but he turned away from him. He rebelled him against him, and he is in sin. He doesn't even try to do good. And then he moves on in chapter two. Verse one, and he says, therefore you have no excuse, O man, every one of you who judges. For in passing judgment on another, you condemn yourself because you, the judge, practice the very same things. 
So we talked about the Gentiles, right, the non-religious people. Um, but there was people there who were trying to kind of live like this moral life. Like they were like, well, you know, like, um, like at least, okay, oh, I know I'm not like perfect, but I'm not that bad though. Like that guy right there, the one on the drugs, the one running around naked because he's crazy, like that's not me. Like I, I get it, whatever, you know. And they <clears throat> essentially they're looking to the left and the right and they're like, hey, based on what I can tell is good, like I'm kind of making it, you know. Um, I'm not as bad as that guy. I'm not as bad as that girl. Um, it's kind of like this balance. They think that, um, that their good deeds can outweigh their bad deeds. Like at the end of the day, everything's just kind of going to work out. Um, I'm, I was talking to this guy one time, and he, he was asking me some questions. And we were talking about um, Romans, and he said, I asked him because it kind of got to the point. I was like, well, how do you think that people get into heaven or are right with God? He's like, well, you know. I think that, like, if you have, like, a, if you try to do good and, um, you know, you have, like, a good heart and you love people, then I think God will, like, kind of just, like, look over the bad stuff. Like, if you try to do good. Um, and I was like, man, I said, that does, I was like, based, what, what does good even mean then? And he's like, well, like, if you love people, I think. And I was like, Shoot, and then we pointed to this passage. But listen, the, the reality of that is that that type of moral man is in this room right now. I've been there. I've experienced it. But it's that situation where you're sitting there and you're like, you're coming to the region. You don't even want to be here. You're here because your homie's, like your homie's in some trouble. And so you're like, oh, I'm going to help, help you out. And then you're sitting in that groundwork circle or that first-time guest circle and somebody confesses something. And you're like, yo, that's crazy. <laughs> Sorry. But it's true, you know, it's true. Like, like, yo, that's crazy. I'm not that bad, okay? I'm not that bad, at least. And so you kind of think that you're good because you're like, well, at least I know that there's some good and there's some wrong and I can make it as long as I'm not as bad as them. And then we even have those people in the church who are members, like in our community groups. Like, hey, I'm not as bad as that. Like, oh, you struggling with that sin though? Like, you watch porn there or like you got drunk over there, like I'm not doing that. And so they think that like as long as they're not as bad as the next guy, that they're clear and they're good because they're relying upon their own conscience. They're relying upon their own conscience to determine how they can become right with God. But Romans 2, 14 and 15 says this. It says, for when Gentiles, anybody who are not Jews, do not have the law, they by nature do what the law requires. What the law is, is essentially God gave the law to the Jewish people, his covenant people, so that they would have the standard of perfection, the standard of righteousness, to see what it looked like to be perfect and in perfect union with God. But the Gentiles didn't because they weren't a part of those people. And so it says, when the Gentiles who not, do not have the law by nature do what the law requires, they are, a, they are a law to themselves, even though they do not have the law. They show that the work of the law is written on their hearts while their conscience also bears witness and their conflicting thoughts accuse them or even excuse them. He says that everyone, and it, you don't have to be a religious person, everyone knows what right and wrong is because God has created us and designed us with that truth written on our hearts. And he says when people try to do good or when people try to abstain from evil, um, even though that doesn't make them perfect, it just reveals um, that they know that right and wrong exist. But these moral people are relying upon that conscience, like that ability to discern like, oh, I think this is right or that is wrong. They're relying upon their conscience in order to be right with God. But your conscience can't save you, is what Paul's saying here. Our conscience can't save, save us. It only shows us our sin. 
It literally says your conscience accuses you. And so even the person who tries to act moral, um, whether it was 2,000 years ago in the Church of Rome or it's today at Watermark Community Church, the person who just tries to act moral is not right with God. They're also in sin. And then after that, he kind of takes a turn because then he's, because he knows he's talking to the Jews too. He writes this letter to the Romans and the Jews are there, the Gentiles there. And he knows that everybody understands the relationship between God and the Jewish people. And so the Jewish people were the religious people of the day. Um, They were religious by birth. So they were born into the family of God. They were, they were taught all the traditions and the culture, and they believed that they were Jew, they were believed that they were Jewish by like faith, and that God had some special hand upon them, and that they were right with God basically because of what they did growing up. It said um, they have they they had the law, the Gentiles didn't, like I mentioned earlier, they had the law, so they knew what it looked like to be righteous. Like they knew all the right things to do, the right way to live, the right things to say. Um, and so they based their, their, their idea or their understanding of their relationship with God and how to be right with him was based on how well they could follow the law, how well they could do the right things. You know what that looks like today? That looks like the Christian. Um, and I don't say this. Like, I don't say this to um, hound anybody. I believe that God wants to reveal the truth to us and he wants to set us free. And I think there's so many people um, in this room or in this world, in this culture, living around Christian things, who prayed the prayer when they're four, and they don't even remember it maybe, like their mom told them, hey, you prayed the prayer when you were four, so like you're saved, you're a Christian. And they're like, okay. And so they spend their life doing these Christian things because their parents take them to youth group or make them go to youth group or take them to church on Sundays, and then they read the Bible, and then they're told that they need to memorize scripture. And they're told how to talk about the gospel, and so they tell you the gospel, but they don't really even believe it. They're just doing these things because they think that doing these things is what makes them right with God. And it doesn't. It can't. Intellectually assenting to the understanding or the truth of God doesn't make you right with him. Belief in God does. Belief in the gospel does. And he, he puts it plainly here to the people who are religious. Like he's talking to the Jews here, but this is also for us, the people who have grown up in Christian religion. He says in verse 23 of chapter two, he said, you who boast in the law, dishonor God by breaking the law. Like you talk about um, faith in Christ. You talk about reading the Bible. Um, you talk about this, you talk about that, but you don't actually believe it. And you break the law. And he was, he said, he said, even the people who have the law who know the instructions, like God gave them in the instruction manual on what it looks like to be righteous. And they still couldn't make it. They, sc- they still couldn't do it. Not one person. There's not one person written in the book anywhere, in any histor- history book, aside from Jesus, that could fulfill that, who could fulfill the law and be righteous. Um, so they were claiming to know God, but they didn't live like it. Um, and then the natural question to the people of the Church of Rome and to us is, well, hey, like if God, if God, um, if, if Jews can't be righteous, then who can? And then Paul pretty simply and really directly just says no one. No one can be righteous. Not one thing you can do can make you right with God. He said in verse three, 20, 
um, of chapter three, he said, for by the works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight. Not one of us can do anything good enough. It's because the standard, of, the standard of righteousness is the standard of perfection. If you've sinned one time, you've sinned against the whole law. If you've rebelled against God in one area, you've, rebe- area, you've rebelled against God in all areas. Um, and the point of the law wasn't, and the point of the law to the Jews wasn't even so that they could follow it. It was actually just to show them their need for someone who could. It wasn't to make them righteous. It was to show them their need for righteousness. And so the question is how, like what, what now? Um, and then there was hope at the end of, the chap- of chapter three because Paul's trying to explain something very simple. Like pro- humanity has a problem and God has brought the solution. And so he says in verse 21, he says, but now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. Like y'all thought that it was through your ability to work to God that you could become right with God, but that's not. He said, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, for thousands of years before Jesus showed up, there were people prophesying that a righteous one would come, a king would come to defeat death and sin. And, And the law was pointing to righteousness that we needed it, but Jesus is the fulfillment of that because 22, verse 22 says, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift. Like faith is a gift. If you're here and you're broken and you're wanting and you, and you know that there's something more and, you're, and you need freedom from whatever's going on in your life, it's a free gift for you. Freedom is free for you. He said, through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, how? Whom God put forth, forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by what? Reading your Bible or um, praying a lot or memorizing scripture, going through region. How do you receive this propitiation? Propitiation means a payment a substitution payment for you. We deserve death because of our sin, but Jesus' blood was the propitiation for our sin to be received by faith. By faith, period. There's nothing that we can do. And so I just need you to know what Paul is trying to communicate, what God wants you to know tonight is that you can't earn your righteousness. You can't do region 15 times. You can't pray 15 prayers. You can't read your Bible enough. Only faith in Christ because of the gospel can set you free from your sin and heal you. And so what do we do now? We have faith in Christ. We we believe in the gospel, what he has done, and we surrender to him. And he will change you. What you believe about Jesus and who he is and his ability to save you and to defeat sin in your life matters. Because we see it every Monday. We see life change every Monday, not because of region, but because of the faith that they have in Christ and what he has done on the cross. And so tonight I pray, I'm going to pray for us. But tonight I hope as you go into your groups, um, maybe consider like, hey, what category do you think marks your life or has marked your life in the past? Is it the Gentile didn't know God, doesn't care about him? The moral person is like, hey, my, my works are gonna kind of outweigh my bad works. My good ones are outweighing the bad. Or the person who grew up in religion. Um, and, and I hope and pray that you understand that the gospel um, is worthy and is the power of God for salvation.
Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for the book of Romans. Um, I pray that you would reveal your goodness, that you would reveal sin um, and righteousness to these people here, my friends. Thank you for bringing them here for the first time, if it, if they're, if it is their first time. Um, and I pray, Lord, that your goodness would become real to us tonight through the gospel. We love you and we're thankful for you. In your name we pray. Amen.